0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Believe it or not, the show goes on. This is the official show on the Fish Stripes Podcast channel with me, Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fish Stripes, where we cover your Miami Marlins every day in our own way. As usual, my plea to listen to this pod, of course, you're already doing that. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your pods, leave a rating and review wherever applicable on your platforms. Check out all of our content at fishstripes.com for myself and all our contributors covering this team from every angle in the majors and the minors, analysis, news, opinions, history, and more. Follow us on social media. Fishstripes on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube. Getting close to my 1000 subscriber YouTube milestone. And right here on the podcast feed, you get my solo episodes twice a week. You get our small pod every weekday morning throughout the season. And so we're still relatively early in the season, but I got to admit, this is one of those times of year where it is difficult to motivate myself to crawl out of bed to talk about this team. They've lost four straight series. They were down to fourth place in the National League East. The problem is, it's not getting a whole lot easier moving forward. What I'm going to talk about on this pod, as usual on Mondays, we rewind to what happened over the weekend. In this case, a three-game series between the Marlins and the Brewers. Meanwhile, the team was celebrating the 25th anniversary of the 1997 World Series championship team. And then we're going to dive into two particular injuries and the guys who need to step up in the place of those injuries. I'm sure you heard about them. Joey Wendell officially going on the IL on Friday, Jesus Lazardo on Sunday, and the two guys I'm identifying as key pieces during this next few weeks stretch, Cody Poteet and the captain, Miguel Rojas. We have not talked about Miggy Rowe much at all this year. It's time to hold him accountable for the start he's gone off to and to see if there's any light at the end of his slow start. On the other side of this break, we go small pod and then into those injuries and those guys who need to step up. It's going to be fun, believe it or not. Stick with me. On Friday, the series opener between the Brewers and the Marlins, we got a marquee pitching matchup. The reigning NL Cy Young Award winner Corbin Burns, the current Major League ERA leader Pablo Lopez. Aside from a first-ending leadoff home run that Pablo allowed to Colton Wong, he was even better than advertised. Career-high 11 strikeouts. Led the majors among all pitchers that pitched on Friday with 20 swinging strikes, as you could guess, almost all of them on his changeup. They knew what he was throwing, or really they didn't. But even if they did know what he was throwing, they couldn't hit it. It was one of those nights where he just did an impeccable job at disguising when he was gonna go fastball versus changeup. And because he was getting ahead in counts, there were a lot of chases outside the zone, right below the zone. It had been a running joke for a while that Pablo was stuck on nine strikeouts. He had reached that number a handful of times over the past few years. This was an important step forward in his ability to be independent of his defense and to miss bats and have that success. And it was the same pitch and the same result. Pablo Lopez. Right after this one, I was compelled to write about how this starts this season that Pablo is off to, puts him in great position to be a National League All Star, first time in his career. So you could check that out on Fish Stripes. On the other side of the matchup, Corbin Burns also lived up to the hype, allowing just one solo home run over his innings, and working deep into the game. So then it was a battle of the bullpens. Unfortunately, as we've seen throughout most of the season, if it's a battle of the bullpens, the Marlins are usually going to lose that battle. In this case, the GOAT, you could pin it on either Anthony Bender, but you should pin it on Tanner Scott. He was the one that loaded the bases in the top of the ninth inning. Bender was the one who ended up walking in the winning run. It was a bad look, but he was put into a really tough position, and above all else even though the bullpen is a scapegoat it's the offense that has been jekyll and hyde this year sometimes they explode other times they are impotent and they just had one solo home run i believe by jesus aguilar in this and that was their whole offense marlins lose two to one to open up their highly anticipated anniversary celebration but then on saturday they bounce back a nine to three win where their offense showed up in full force. Two big innings where they scored four runs apiece in this one. Once again, falling behind in the first inning. And with Trevor Rogers, unlike Pablo, when he makes a mistake, you start fearing the worst in a season where he has not looked quite the same as he did in his early 2021 excellence. Thankfully, as this start wore on, aside from that first inning home run, really outside of that first inning, he was amazing. He did look every bit like that guy last year, and really that's not giving him enough credit. The difference is he even admitted it after the game. His slider was nastier than it's ever been before. It was his main with pitch in this one. It was the one that he was using to put away batters that we had not seen him do before. He's put in so much work to make that a legitimate third pitch, and this gives you hope that he is like improving as an overall pitcher, believe it or not. So it brings down his ERA to respectability into the mid fours. He ends up working into the sixth inning, not completing the sixth inning though. Strikes out Christian Yelich a couple times in this one. An immensely encouraging performance from Trevor Rogers, especially in the aftermath of Jesus Lazardo going down. Um, on the Marlins side, I guess some good karma. This was when they went The furthest to embrace the silver anniversary of the 97 team, a big pregame ceremony where almost half of the roster, also including manager Jim Leland, got together um, special introductions one by one, called out of the dugout and given ovations from the fans at Lone Depot Park. That was cool. We had great credential coverage, unprecedented three media members from Stripes doing credential coverage for this one. And I think they did a great job at the ballpark chronicling this win. Again, the Marlins fell behind initially, but you almost forgot about that because of the crooked numbers they put up against Eric Lauer. Jorge Soler, shout out to him, hitting a home run in a very important spot that I think put the Marlins ahead for good. His first handful of Marlins home runs came in mostly inconsequential situations. This was a different story. This was exactly what they got him for. There's Soler crushing one left center field, way back, and John wow. back I'm, to the There you go. Aguilar yeah. and Soler see? and the Marlins go up two to one. Yep, see when I show up, ball start Sheffield going magic. out. <laughs> everybody in the Marlins lineup got a hit in this game. I do mean everybody. That well rounded effort, you love to see it and the game wasn't even as close as the final score would indicate. Dylan Floro with a a rough outing in this one, Um, giving up a couple runs late in the game when it was already uh, solved itself, but that is one thing I'm keeping my eye on with Floro. He was supposed to be such an integral part of this bullpen entering the year, and my worst fears from his rehab assignment have been realized. He is not the guy that... The back of the baseball card says he is right now his stuff is not where it should be his command is not exactly where it should be right now and and fingers crossed he does recapture that form as the season goes on and for everybody that got a replica world series ring as part of the giveaway it was supposed to be a children's giveaway but the demand for it among adults was predictable and has been very amusing so i know there's a scramble to get those um, second on the second hand market <laughs> and that that's been a fun storyline to follow. I'm glad people were um, enjoyed those and have uh, bringing out the inner child in them embracing uh, being a part in some small way of that initial Marlin's championship then the rubber game on Sunday extremely predictable. Brandon Woodruff comes into this one really struggling despite coming off a previous All Star season. It was only a matter of time until he kind of rounded back into form. And on the other side, Eliezer Hernandez, with few exceptions, just a really bad year for him. He's been around the block. The scouting report is out on him. And the rhythm of his starts are are just so maddening. You know exactly how it's going to go. Even on days like this, where he allowed zero earned runs through the first four innings, it looks like he's pretty efficient going into the fifth. When hitters get a third opportunity to face him, they do damage. He makes mistakes, and his stuff is not good enough to get away from it. In this situation, I think the Marlins actually had a lead going into that fifth inning, right? They were up three to one, and then he gives it right back. He can't even get an out in that fifth inning, And just asking a whole lot of this bullpen to get through what would have been five innings against a pretty solid Brewers lineup. So It was Lewis Head in this one that was not quite on top of his game. I think later on Tommy Nance even allowed a home run after looking impressive in his first couple outings. Dylan Floro came in later on, although I think he pitched a scoreless inning. So the pitching just was not good enough in this one. And the Marlins lineup was not effective enough. It hurt that Jazz Chisholm Jr. taking a rare off day against a righty in Woodruff. That was surprising. Um, He appears appears to be totally fine, but that did not make things any easier for them. Jesus Sanchez, he's somebody we're going to have to dive into a lot in the near future because his slump continues. He is the coldest hitter on this team, which is saying quite a lot. Batting leadoff, I did not understand that decision based on his recent play. Takes the golden sombrero four strikeouts in this game for Jesus Sanchez. And uh, it is really getting close to that time where you question if he should be the everyday center fielder or even the primary center fielder for this major league team that desperately needs wins. Uh, I mentioned, of course, Lizardo getting injured, temporarily filling his roster spot. Lewin Diaz, his first day on the active roster this season doesn't actually get into the game and all indications are that he's going back down to AAA in a matter of days now that garrett cooper has avoided his latest injury scare so the final score on sunday seven to three the marlins yet again lose a series yet again they lose a series in which they outscored their opponents three consecutive of those where they have had a positive run differential in the series and still lost the series madness On the brighter side as usual my fish prospects of the week shouting out a top performing marlins pitcher and position player from the past week in minor league baseball on the pitching side left-hander pat monteverde how was that for a deep dive he was one of the marlins college draft picks in the 2021 class eighth round out of texas tech this was Certainly his best outing overall as a professional player with high A Beloit. He earns his first minor league win by going seven shutout innings and zero walks. On the hitting side, pretty easy one here, Ian Lewis. I've been really high on this guy since the middle of last year appeared to be held back in extended spring training for disciplinary issues, some other sort of non-injury-related situation that held him out for the about the first month of the season, and he did not miss a beat. Playing at full-season ball for the first time, racked up 10 hits in five games, a 588, 611, 647 slash line, 1258 OPS for the toolsy infielder, only 19 years old, He's he's one to watch. He has been an exceptional performer so far in his minor league career. Honorable mentions, Zach McCambley, another great start, really recovering from what was initially a slow first few games of the season. And then Gerard Encarnacion, he is knocking louder and louder on the door to be promoted to AAA. He's also with Pensacola right now, but included in this past week, a four-hit game, which was his first time since 2018 have something like that in between he was an offensive presence in every single game of that series love to see him thriving remember he still just 24 years old and he's on the 40-man roster so it would not be totally out of the blue if he at some point before the end of this year makes it up to the show The Marlins head into this new week at 15-19 and 19 overall, fourth place in the National League East, buried pretty deep in the wildcard race as well, and things do not get a whole lot easier moving forward. Again, two key injuries coming up in the last few days. Joey Wendell aggravating his tender hamstring, officially suffering a strain and going on the IL. That was official on Friday. And Luzardo, this one, they did a good job of hiding it um, I don't think anybody really saw this coming because he'd been all right in his past couple of starts, but he goes on the IL with a forearm strain. So we start we start with Wendell, I guess. Um, that's the one he's been performing so well to this point in the season, exactly as advertised coming off an all-star year with the Rays, where he puts a bat on the ball. He plays good defense at several different spots, and he's down for the next few weeks at least. They tried, you know, before to manage it as a day-to-day situation, but you look at the history of people rushing back from hamstring strains, and unless you, even the minor ones, you're really looking at two full weeks of non-game activities before even going on a rehab assignment. I think it's pretty clear that he's going to be out for the rest of May to really get this right, get back to normal, to ensure that he puts it behind him and it's not something that is slowing him down the rest of the year with him out the onus shifts to Miguel Rojas who has I think he's been let, let off easy to this point in the season he was of course you go back to 2020 he was arguably the most, most valuable player on the team overall I think how quickly we forget that From 2019 to 2021, he had a 99 weighted runs created plus, a league average hitter over that entire three season span, dating back to 2019. That's why they extended him once. That's why they extended his contract again this past offseason. That's why when they extended him this past offseason, I was celebrating the team friendly terms of the deal. I could not understand why he would value himself as a $5 million a year player when he was doing a respectable job at such a critical position of shortstop and doing well on both sides of the ball. But this year, you know it's been a different story. He had, I think after the second game of the season, he got his OPS up to 625, which is bad, even by his standards. And yet, it has not come close to that mark since then. He's been in the 500s for a lot of the season, and as of this recording, I think he's dipped Below 500 OPS on the season. Hitting below the Mendoza line in terms of batting average. He's been, he's been really disappointing. I'm surprised and, and disappointed. He has not lived up to his end of the deal. It has made a difference. In all these close games that they are playing, the fact that they've lost more one-run games than any other team, he is, has been holding them back. I think if you put in a standard... 2019 to 2021 Miggy Rowe into this team they have at least one more win if not a couple more to this point in the season what's gone wrong well he's still hitting the ball in the air about the same as he has he doesn't have a ground ball issue and he doesn't really have an athleticism issue either in terms of how hard he's hitting the ball how he's running you know he's never been a standout tools guy at any point in his career, and the measurables on him are all pretty similar across the board, uh, one one thing is that the trajectory of his fly balls is wonky. His line drive rate is the lowest it's ever been in his career. Depending on the way you calculate it, several different estimates have it the same way, as slightly lower rate than ever. Uh, he's swinging, what I notice, is more aggressively on the first pitch of his plate appearances, and his plate appearances in general are just a lot shorter than they have been. So maybe if you're looking at why he's hitting a lot of lazy fly balls, infield pop-ups, it's because he's just swinging at the wrong pitches. He's getting over overeager. Um, I'm not exactly sure why that would be. You know, um, he's, hitting, he's playing in a lot of his typical matchups um, against lefties. He's sitting in the top of the order sometimes. At this point in the season now, he's kind of buried in the bottom half of the order, that's not really foreign to him. Um, so these situations aren't that different. You know, conventional wisdom says when you're surrounded by more accomplished hitters as he is in this lineup, even at the very bottom, is surrounded by guys, all the newcomers, even with Wendell out, you have Soler and Avisale Garcia and Jacob Stallings, guys that have history of getting on base consistently and being real guys that opposing pitchers have to think about. You know, despite that, quote, protection in the lineup, It's not helping him whatsoever. What I noticed statistically is the lack of one area where you expect him to thrive is against left-handed pitchers. That has been propping up his stat line over this past three-year stretch. He's been on the short list of most productive hitters against lefties. That's where a lot of his extra base hits come from. That's where he puts the ball in play typically more than ever. And that has been a different story this year against lefties. He is slashing 179, 233, 250, pretty much what he's doing against righties against lefties. In fact, a little bit worse even when he has the platoon advantage. So that's a head scratcher. And that's something that I think you have to assume that over a larger sample size is going to correct itself even without, without him doing anything necessarily different. I mean, the bottom line is they just need him to be better because outside of just having Wendell hurt, John Birdie is still several days away. He is almost certainly going to have to go through some type of rehab assignment after not really doing game activities for the past week in the aftermath of what we assume is a, co- a positive COVID test. You're looking at this upcoming series against the Nationals. We could talk about that a little bit in a few minutes it's the softest spot on their schedule for a long time. And in during that time, it looks like Miggy Rowe is going to need to start all of those games. He's going to be in the lineup, and they absolutely need him to be part of the solution because their infield depth at the moment is very thin. And even when Birdie gets back, they don't love birdie defensively as shortstop, and in a small sample this year, Mickey Rowe is pretty close to the peak version of himself. I'd say not quite at the peak level uh, in terms of the, the range that he has, but he, he is making a lot of the necessary plays that you need in order to control the damage. And by by all measures, especially outs above average, he still rates as an above average defensive shortstop. That's no small thing. They just need his bat to get figured out. This is, this is a guy that they paid that money for a reason. Uh, he reached this level of respect among his teammates and among fans for a reason because he has been a very solid player for a number of years. The Marlins were counting on him continuing to be that solid player, even not as a true everyday starter. Until Wendell gets back, he's going to be starting a lot. He's going to be starting the vast majority of their games. They just don't have a, a whole lot of great shortstop depth at the moment. With Wendell out, with even Jose Devers, if you really want to throw a wild card in there, he's still working his way back from shoulder surgery last year. In the meantime, they just need Miggy Rowe not to do anything heroic, just to be close to the guy that he's been over the previous three years. And I don't think that's too much to ask. On the pitching side, got to go to Lazardo. As I said, this injury kind of came out of nowhere. He was pitching through it. As he explained to reporters on Sunday, like he felt that when he was on the mounds, it was not impacting him. The problem was the recovery in between starts. That's what told him that something was not right physically and that they needed to calm it down and give it time to settle itself because you wouldn't want that to eventually lead to a more significant injury. Fingers crossed this does not appear to be anything elbow related for someone that it's already undergone Tommy John surgery and who does have a history of durability issues. I don't think anybody expected Lizardo to make 32 starts and to stick in this rotation all year long, because that'd be a big leap up in workload from anything he's ever done before. Um, what would you hope is that it was, it would be some sort of non arm related injury or timeout that he gets. The, this particular diagnosis he gives you chills down the spine. Fingers crossed he's only out for about two weeks and then steps back in and is, is able to go the rest of the season. That, that's... And it just it cannot be lost how exciting the start of the season has been for Luzardo. He's not going deep into games... But when he is on the mound, he's been an above-average starting pitcher. That's a huge step forward from where he was last year, where, of course, as you know, his ERA was in the sixes both before and after the trade. He was extremely hittable. And the difference this year is he is using that special slurve of his more than ever and missing a ton of bats. So the command still comes and goes. As long as he's throwing the right pitches and his in the right situations, his fastball velocity ticking up even more so to make his changeup a more viable third pitch than it used to be. He's going to be a valuable piece of this team. He is somebody that, to this point in the season, you can make the case, has been slightly better than Trevor Rodgers. And I think on the other side of this injury, there's still a lot of optimism that, from all the measurables that we're seeing of him, he could continue to be that 4-ERA pitcher At least, you know, that gets you through the fourth and usually through the fifth inning every time out. That is an important piece, and that certainly makes that trade very unpopular trade initially. It makes it look a lot better in hindsight if he does keep that up. Uh, You guys, of course, want to talk about Max Meyer. 25 minutes into the pod, I bring up his name. I'm not going to talk about Max Meyer on this one. We still don't have a very clear idea of when he's going to come up or why he has not come up already. What we do know in the meantime is that the role of somebody like Cody Poteet expands quite a bit. Poteet is, uh, let's rewind to 2021, where his, his stuff had ticked up from where we had previously seen it in the minor leagues, and he emerged in the early part of the season as a back-end starting pitcher for them. Then what happened, the sticky stuff enforcement began in towards the end of June. He made one start after that, And uh, maybe coincidence, maybe not, he got blown up. For somebody that had shown really standout breaking balls during his first handful of Major League starts, um, all of a sudden those balls weren't breaking quite the same way. He hurt his knee. He actually aggravated a knee injury that he'd hurt originally early in the season, and he had more setbacks when he was trying to recover from that. We didn't see him in the majors the entire second half of last season. And it was easy to kind of... Forget about him and put him to the back of your minds. Then in spring training, he came back. He was throwing even harder. He was looking even better. One thing I had noticed in spring is the extra use of his changeup. The one type of pitch that really is not impacted whatsoever by spin rate, etc. It's, it's the kind of pitch that you want to throw with as little spin as possible so that its trajectory to the plate is a, big, a lot different from your fastball. So he's been throwing it a lot more. The usage has, in fact, doubled from last year. It was about 18% in the regular season in 2021, up to 36%. So all of a sudden, it is his primary off-speed pitch to go along with an improved fastball. How improved is that fastball? Well, the top six velocities of his major league career and 14 of the top 16 velocities have been tracked this year. So he is consistently... Throwing harder in the mid-90s, up to 97 with the fastball in his relief role. To this point in the season, he's been used exclu- exclusively in relief. He's pitched 16 in a third innings. He's allowed one earned run. An ERA of 0.55. Fielder independent pitching of 2.69, which is awesome. It's not otherworldly because he's not really striking out with a whole lot of guys. His strikeout rate is a tiny bit below league average. But what he is doing is he's just inducing a lot of off-balance swings and keeping the ball in the ballpark, obviously. He is not allowed a home run. He is not allowed a single barreled ball to this point. So even some wall bangers, some line drives deep into the gap, those are not happening against Cody Poteet. Initially, this was weird, on Sunday they announced him as the fill-in for Luzardo in the rotation, he was supposed to be starting on Monday. As you're listening to this, he is not going to be starting on Monday. Let's see if I can get you the most up-to-date info on whether they how they're handling this. What they did is they moved Sandy up a day to Monday, and I love this. I don't think this got enough love. Is this showing a sense of urgency, where because of the off day, Sandy is on regular rest, but instead of waiting five games in between his outing. They just make it four games. They use them as much as possible, put them in a position to start as many games as possible on regular rest, and that should be commended. That is a little thing that is kind of a no-brainer because no matter how excited you are about Max Meyer or for whatever reason, if you're super confident in Cody Poteet, I don't think you'd want either of them on the mound over Sandy. That's nice. We'll see Sandy on Monday night. Coming off of what was a great outing from him previously, and so officially on Tuesday, the Marlins have a to-be-announced starter against the Nationals. They've not decided. They could have, if they were simply flip-flopping Sandy and Poteet, then they could have simply done that instead. Mattingly with um, very strange comments about that being non-committal about who that starter is going to be insinuating that it was actually somebody not on the active roster. While there's a little shred of hope that it's Max Meyer who would be pitching on regular rest, I think the most likely candidate would actually be, believe it or not, Daniel Castano, one of the few other healthy reinforcements who's actually on the 40-man roster. And he was already lined up to pitch that day for Triple A Jacksonville. So that is going to be my educated guess as to who we see on Tuesday, a combination of both Castano and Poteet. Regardless of whether it's as a starter or exactly where he fits in the rotation, we're going to be seeing a lot more of Poteet. Another sneaky thing the Marlins did, they knew about this Lazardo injury concern over the road trip, and they got Poteet stretched out to go 51 pitches last week in in his relief outing, his mop-up duty against Arizona. I think that was intentional, and I think that was a good move, and that it's going to allow Poteet to stretch out even more to, what, 65 pitches? Maybe 70 in his next outing? And that can get you, that could give you at least what Eliezer Hernandez has given you and get you relatively deep into the game either as a starter or as, like, piggybacking Castano one way or the other. But Poteet's going to be very important for the foreseeable future. He's an older guy. He's older than Luzardo. He's older than Sandy. They They are not, he was acquired under the Loria era. They are not going to put any sort of training wheels on him. They're going to get whatever they can out of him. They want him to, uh, they want to see whether these fascinating adjustments he's made as a reliever stick in a larger role. And then they want it to be a tough decision a few weeks from now, if Lizardo is back and Poteet is still pitching well, exactly what to do with him, what they can actually kick him out of the rotation and back to the bullpen or, or what, because this is a really interesting story for a guy that was, I think a lot of people were down on after his injury last year. And I, I like what I see. I really do. He's going, He is quietly going to... Um, the expectations for him moving forward should be adjusted accordingly. I think we can, based on what we've seen so far this season... It's it's reasonable to think that he's supposed to be um, a key contributor for them for the near term future during this important stretch. So that important stretch it begins with three more home games against the Washington Nationals. The Nationals are terrible. If you go through in your mind all the teams in the National League that are inferior to the Marlins, you know there's two that you can say unequivocally are behind the Marlins on that power rankings. It's the Cincinnati Reds, and it's the Washington Nationals. Those are the two weakest links in the National League, the entire league. For Marlins team, that to make the postseason, even in this expanded format, you need to finish top six out of 15 teams. And I think you can lock it in that they're going to finish in the top 13 ahead of both the Reds and the Nationals. The Nationals have lost two-thirds of their games. They're on pace for 108 losses with issues on in every single aspect of their game in a year where they didn't have high expectations in the first place, but it just shows that unless Juan Soto is at his otherworldly best, they are don't really have a chance on most nights. They are in a rough spot. They are vulnerable. I'm not somebody that to this point of the season has swerved into hyperbole about this team, and I've I've not really demanded, um, I've not really raised the alarm bells about many things. I can say that this upcoming series against the Nats is a must-win series. They need to win the majority of these next three games against the Nats. There's really no other way around it. So that series starts off on Monday night. We're going to have our full coverage as usual, our live stream, Fish Stripes Live, with a couple special guests on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook beginning at 5.30 Eastern time. Our podcast coverage will be normal throughout the week with small pods every morning. Another official show from me on Thursday, our full coverage on fishstripes.com. So Check out Fish stripes. some really fun stuff on there. From watching them day in, day out, that this is a really competent team talent-wise. This team does have the talent to hang around all the way into the end of the season. The problem is, like this stuff does not always even out every single year. And when you dig yourself a deep enough hole then and you don't have enough other things going your way on the health side and in the clutch situation side, sometimes it's just too late to turn things around. For the Marlins, that turnaround absolutely needs to start with this upcoming series against the Nats. I'll be on the other side of that series. You'll have another podcast episode from me right here as always Eli Sussman of the official show on the fish stripes podcast thanks for listening share the word about what we're doing here on the pod as always go fish